So um, welcome to Man in the Stand. It is my true honour and privilege tonight to be um, um, to be joined by, well, what I would call a New Zealand sporting legend. Um, someone, uh, only one of two New Zealanders to ever win uh, a golfing major, and that's Michael Campbell, um, the winner of the two, uh, 2005 US Open at Pinehurst, uh, a, an incredible um, victory where um, he held off a hard charging Tiger Woods to, um, to win the US Open by two strokes and, uh, and go down in, in New Zealand sporting history. Um, as a golf fan myself, um, you know, um, the, the, the enormity of that event was not lost on me in 2005 and, and probably over the time is probably is actually grown in time, I think. So, uh, so thank you, Michael, for joining us. Uh, thank you very much. I really appreciate it. Um, I, I, I just want to look back over your younger years. Um, you were born in 1969 in Hawa in New Zealand. Uh, you, um, you, you, it was interestingly looking at a bit of research on you. You come from a very, very famous stock. Your your great, 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 great grandfather uh, was um, was John Logan, um, who um, was known as the as the as the father of Auckland. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, back in 1856, he came over and was the mayor of Auckland, and that's how it started, you know, for me. And um, you know, funny enough, I actually back in 1996, I did my I, uh, my, my father at the time started this family tree kind of thing and I kind of finished it. So it's kind of cool to see where I belong in this yeah. world. And yeah. it, it's a nice synergy, I think, that, um, you know, I play golf for a living and, and, it, and it, come, it come from a Campbell kind of background or where, the, where my roots are from. So, uh, I think it's a nice kind of uh, correlation there between the two. <laughs> yeah. So, as you say, um, uh, Logan Campbell, being a, um, a Scotsman, um, did you and emigrated um, from Scotland to New Zealand? Have you gone to Scotland yourself and kind of looked at that part of your family? Absolutely. I, I found the first Campbell on record, his grave, back in 1296. Wow. I actually went to. Uh, John Logan's camp, uh, sorry, Logan's Campbell, uh, his, uh, where he was born, his house where he was born. Uh, so it was, it was a wonderful journey that I took on, on myself there and uh, I found out, you know, because he came back and forth from Edinburgh to uh, New Zealand and, was, and the person who was living at the house still has all the artifacts, all the carvings and stuff like that from New Zealand. So that was really, really nice to do that. Uh, wow, geez. coming back and forth from Edinburgh to New Zealand in those times must have been an, an enormous journey. <laughs> yeah, six months worth, I think he said. Because um, funny enough, uh, the, the person who was actually in the house where Sir Logan Campbell was born um, was his great, great, great uh, grandson. So it was kind of cool to actually meet the guy. Uh, wow. It was, it, it was a big, burly uh Scotsman with ginger beard and stuff like that, and I, I remember knocking on my on his door, and I said, "I think I'm related to you," and he's like, "What? <laughs> what are you talking about?" <laughs> and and growing up uh, in New Zealand in Hara, uh, was that kind of not you as a as a boy? Was that knowledge imparted onto you that you know you had a fairly you know a famous forefather there, or was was that not something that you know was was much prevalent in, in your life growing up as a as a boy in, in Hara, New Zealand? 
No, no. I mean, I was just running around on, my, on the on the farm, you know, chasing cows and, and sheep, and and you know, feeding them and, and milking them and that sort of stuff, you know. And not until probably when I was, I think it was a stage of my life around 25, 26 years old, I wanted to find out, you know, where I was from and why I'm here, that sort of thing. So I've been soul searching a little bit, and with the help from my father and my mum as well, who started the whole, instigated the whole thing about this family tree thing. I took over. Yeah, and it was a, such a wonderful journey for me to do that, and uh, it, it made me more, more more complete, you could say. Uh, but you know, as a kid growing up, no, I mean, I played. I was just loving sports. I played sports all the time. I played many sports, like five or six different sports. Yeah, at the same time, and played rugby, of course. Rugby is the most, you know, as a kid growing up, you you want to be an All Black. Yeah, and that was that was my dream to be an All Black, but I soon found out I wasn't. Um, wasn't good enough, big enough, strong enough. And I played basketball, tennis, squash, softball, but a golf as well. Um, and then my parents said to me, Michael, well, you got to just decide at least two different sports because they felt like taxi drivers. You know, they're running around all the time. Every day was a practice day, and obviously weekends was just a nightmare. So uh, I decided to choose uh, softball and golf um, when I was about 12 or 13 years old. And because um, I, I really enjoyed the team aspect when it comes to playing sports, because you've got your friends and your teammates around you. But I didn't really like, um, what can I say, you know, when, when you play well and you lose and vice versa, and also the referees obviously make human errors and stuff like that. But um, I found that in golf, it's more of a, 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 your scorecard is a true reflection of your performance. There's no excuses. You can't blame the weather. You can't blame anybody else apart from you. Yeah. So, so that was a big attraction for me. I think golf. And then at at, at the age of thirteen, um, I, I was handicapped thirty four, so it wasn't that great. You know, it was thirty four. Age of thirteen was pretty average, really. But uh, that's when I had a bit of a, a growth spurt. You know, and then fifteen, when I was fifteen years old. So two years later, I was like offered two or three handicap. So I improved immensely yeah. over two years, and and that's when I thought, hey, this is this is pretty cool. And then I started making um, New Zealand teams, you know, under eighteen uh, New Zealand team, and then the men's team, and and all of a sudden when I was twenty one, you know, I was winning all these tournaments around around, around New Zealand, uh, in Australia as well. So things progressed very very quickly, you could say, in the space of you know six years. Yeah, and so when you, uh, as you say, when you started growing and and you, and you and your handicap started sort of dropping pretty prodigiously, um, did you uh, at any at any stage um, did you think to yourself, um, you know, as you into your late teens and you started, you know, making these um, regional and national teams, hey, I could actually, I could actually be pretty good at this and possibly even play it for a living. Did that did that sort of thought cross your mind at any stage when as a young guy? When I was thirteen. No, no. When you were when you were a little bit as you got into your teens and you got a bit older and you're uh, no, 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 no. I'm actually asking you a question. When I was thirteen, I, I said, um, very. I knew straight away. Oh wow, <laughs> that's amazing. That's incredible. So yeah, at thirteen so, years old, you thought I could I could really make something of myself in this game. Yep, because I never forget this. It was uh, I told the story many times, and I'll tell it to you uh, to, to your listeners today. Yeah, is that uh, so? It's the first day at college. Um, so you're 13 years old, right? So you got me from intermediate, yeah, uh, primary, intermediate, and in college. 
and the first day at college, I was 13 years old. And I never forget, you know, it was about 30 kids in the class. And we'd just stand up in front of the class and say, hi, my name is John Smith. You know, my parents are from Auckland um, and I want to be a doctor. And the next person stands up. Hi, my name is, you know, so-and-so. I want to be a nurse or I want to be a fireman. You know, I'm going to be a policeman. So my, my turn. And I said, hi, my name is Michael Campbell. I'm from, I was born in Harrah. And I want to be a golf professional. So don't forget, you know, this is back in 1892. Sorry, 18, 1982. 1982 it was. Yeah. And for a young Maori kid to say golf professional back in those days, it's like, what? Are you, yeah. are you, are you crazy? Yeah. And yeah. of course, of course, all my classmates at the time laughed at me. But I didn't care because I was so determined. And that was my, 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 that was my destiny. Suppose that. So, so, so from, from, from that day on, I decided that, okay, I'm going to do it. <laughs> so it was, I was very fortunate because don't forget, a lot of kids don't know what they want to do in the future until maybe 16, 21, 25, 35. But yeah. I was lucky, lucky enough to find my, my, um, my passion. It was my passion then, back in those days. Um, and I just knew that, you know, it was meant to be. So that's what I said. That's amazing. Um, tell me something, Michael. I've been talking to a few American um, uh, people in, uh, lately uh, on, on golf um, channels and what have you. And and uh, you mentioned, as you say, as a young Maori man growing up, I grew up in Manor too, not far you know, down the road from you, uh, at the same sort of vintage, you know, I'm about two or three years younger than you. So I kind of grew up in the same time, in the same place. And, and we like to think of New Zealand as a fairly... Uh, kind of open place where opportunity is open to all and, and, and what have you. We're quite lucky in New Zealand, but I don't, I don't pretend to have rose-tinted spectacles about it either. Um, and, and so I, I, I'm talking to a lot of American people, um, uh, you know, people from ethnic minorities in America have a very hard time even getting onto golf courses and, uh, and actually accessing the game. Now, you, you know, got onto golf courses, accessed the game easily enough. But as you sort of climbed in the game, um, did, you, was it, did you encounter any sort of um, static or, or, or sort of um, bad attitudes from people um, being that you were a young Mary player? Or, or, or was that not really an element um, in, in your life? Were you, were you lucky enough to sort of get around that? Yeah, I was very fortunate to get around that sort of element because and, and, and I know that um, friends of mine, you know, had a few, you know, uh, issues with that sort of stuff. But for me, I don't know, but I was very lucky. I mean, I, I was so lucky to grow up in a uh, very supportive and a wonderful environment in Tahi Bay Golf Club. Yeah. Tahi Bay um, <laughs> uh, is where I started playing. And you got to realize that it's a golf course where it's nine holes on a farm. There's sheep everywhere and there's fences around the greens to, take, to keep the sheep out. Yeah, so I've actually uh, I've actually played Titahi Bay. I actually no, you it. haven't. I have. I actually played Titahi Bay. A bunch of my friends and I played Titahi Bay, and we actually ran into your uncle, I believe, in Titahi Bay, and uh, he said, "Oh, this is where Michael Campbell used to play." Now, this was many, many years ago, and uh, and and what was struck me about Titahi Bay was 
A, it was, as you say, ringed by fences and, and, and sheep and everything. And B, man, it was steep. There's a, it's a really, really challenging up and down sort of walk. It's, um, it's a tough little course, isn't it? Yeah, well, the thing is, that's why I think uh, I performed very well in, in the Opens. You know, I played in 55 majors and about 15 uh, Opens, British Opens. Yeah. And, yeah, I mean, the thing that I love about that golf course, it's very windy as well. So you've got to shape your shots. you got to low and high and fades and draws and stuff like that. But also you're, it's demanding this sort of sense where the, the every, every lie you have or every start you have is very uneven, which is very similar to, to what you, you get when you play a, an open championship. So, yeah. uh, you know, that's, that's one thing that's really helped me in the past. Is, is to play well in open championships, but yeah, that was my that was my <laughs> humble beginnings, you could say, uh, and uh, so I went from there to Manor Park, and that's where I met Mel Tung. Mel was uh, my first real coach back when I was 16, 17 years old, yeah, and he, and he, he transformed my game completely um, until I was like probably 25, 26 years old. Then went on to uh, Jonathan Yarwood, another English guy, and uh, yeah, I mean, to to to, to have a career of Winning 15 times around the world, including world match play as well as a major championship. I think the lowest I got in the world rankings was uh, number six, number seven in the world. But that's when, you know, Tiger was number one, Phil was number two, NEL was number three, Petit Kurs number four, yeah. you know, BJC number five, sort of thing. So it was pretty hard to crack into the top five. But um, in, my, in my prime, you could say, you know, from 2000, 2005, I uh, had a lot of success there, and and that's where it was. It was a lot of fun. Yeah, you certainly did. You really did. And I'm going to sort of go through some of those. Um, but I want to go back a little bit, um, and actually to your first really major success, which was a member of the New Zealand Eisenhower Trophy winning team in 1992, where you and uh, uh, um, coach Grant Clemens, Stephen Scahill, Phil Teldarangi, and Grant Moorhead. Um, and yourself won the um, Eisenhower Trophy in 1992 by an incredible seven strokes. Now, anyone who doesn't know what the Eisenhower Trophy is, it's it's the team amateur, um, uh, you know, world championship. So you've got teams like uh, you know the states and the UK who who win this multiple multiple times. And for a, a a team from New Zealand to to go through and compete in this, and B win it by seven strokes from an American, uh, a very very good American team, was absolutely incredible. Um, and 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 Michael, I want to ask you two things on that. Number one. Um, what did you realise at that time? Uh, wow, this is pretty special. Um, we're a pretty, this is a pretty special bunch we've got here. And two, do you think a New Zealand amateur team could ever reach those heights again? Because that, I mean, that's never been done since. And uh, and um, and I'd be interested to see: was that just a, a magic moment in time, or uh, was it you know, a cluster of great players all at once? And um, and and yeah, as I say, what do you think of the chances of that ever happening again? Look, it was it was magic in the bottle. That's all I can say. We played amazing golf that week. Uh, I'll never forget the last day. Uh, it's quite a funny story, really. But and uh, the prize giving. So after we won, uh, there was like a forty-five minute delay for the prize giving because yeah. because all, all they had was the American national anthem. Because <laughs> <laughs> because Americans are like nine shots ahead. Well, I can't remember exactly what it was, and. Uh, so we had to wait for 45 minutes to an hour to get the, someone had to, someone had to run down, because we played in Vancouver, run down to the uh, 
a local consulate there and grab the national anthem for, from New Zealand. Wow. So <laughs> that's another story. But anyway, yeah, I mean, it was, it, was, it was lightning in the bottle. You know, it was incredible how we played that day, especially the last nine holes. I think we were like probably three shots behind uh, collectively as a team. And we won by seven, as you say. We just played some credit golf for the last, you know, nine holes. Grant played great. Graham Moorhead, Stephen Scarhill, Philip and myself. Philip won the individual. He was, no, I came second. So, wow. so that's one thing. So you got two, two, two Maldi boys winning. Oh, we won the Eisenhower. Obviously, it was the main event, which is absolutely the main event. Yeah, uh, but we had number one, number number two in the uh, in the rankings for the individual, so that was pretty cool. And uh, people don't realise that, but uh, it was it was, a, it was an amazing week. Oh, uh, yeah, great. I mean, and so as I say, Michael, um, I mean, that's a very hard thing to do. Um, and I wonder if it'll ever be done again. I'm I'm not sure. Um, I don't really know this the state of the amateur game in New Zealand. I'm sure there's a lot of very promising young players, but to I think to do that would be extremely tough. Well, the thing is that, you know, it is possible. I mean, we, in, in the previous uh, performances on the, in the Eisenhower, it wasn't that great, but uh, we managed to pull things together. But it's a real, you got to realise, to win a major championship, to win, you know, a, uh, even a PGA Tour event or to win the Eisenhower, it takes a lot of, lot of stuff going on at the right time. And uh, we had a great manager, Roger Bredand, and Grant Clements had a dream of doing this, you know, I remember he started this whole thing back in uh, the mid-80s. Grant Clements unfortunately passed away a long time ago. Yeah. But uh, he had a vision that uh, he wanted to do, and so he brought together all these high-performance coaches and stuff like that for us to... Uh, he got us uh, funding to travel more um, around Asia and different parts of Europe as well. So it's not... It's not it, people got to realise it's not about that week, you know, it's not about me winning the U.S. Open. It, it took 30 years for me to do that. Yeah, it doesn't take a you know four rounds of golf. Yeah, uh, it, it's the same with um, when Grant Clemens decided to, to to start this whole amateur scene of of having more funding and stuff like that, better coaching, equipment back in '85. So it was like a seven year process yeah. until you know we had a lot of success. And yes, I hope it'd be uh, another. New Zealand team uh, to lift that trophy again. It's, it's definitely possible. Um, the thing is that because I'm so far away from, from New Zealand, I don't really know much about the amateur scene back home, unfortunately. But uh, you know, I'm sure with the right guidance and the right knowledge, uh, you know, anything's possible. Okay, so then let's, as I say, go through to your professional career. So after you, as I say, after that um, Eisenhower Trophy winning um, uh, result, you know, uh, you went on to go into an incredible professional career, Michael, where, as I say, 15 professional wins, and I'm just going to reel through them. The Australian Masters, the German Masters, two Heineken Classics, the European Open, the Irish Open, the Johnny Walker Classic, the New Zealand Open, the World Match Play Championships, and, uh, and then the 2000, 2005 US Open. And um, uh, just, uh, I know, you know, that's a, that's a hell of a lot. I mean, I mean, and there's a, there's a lot more. And as you say, you climb to as high as, I think you say, six in the world. So, um, and, you know, and, and only one other New Zealand golfer has won a major championship, and that was Bob, Sue Bob Charles. So, uh, Michael, uh, you know, that's an, it's an incredible career that you've fashioned there. Um, and, and obviously, uh, the US Open is the pinnacle. Um, 
I, I, but I also contend that I think your World Match Play Championship was was as 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 big, and in terms of the golf you played that week to to beat, you know, uh, 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 Jeff Ogilvy, um, uh, Retief Goosen seven and six, and then beat Paul McGinley two and one in the final in Wentworth. I watched that. That, that was some of the best golf from you I think I've ever seen. Um, yeah, there's a story behind that. <laughs> uh, <laughs> once again, you know, it's, it's nice to have these, these sort of conversations because it, it reminds me of um, the circumstances. Yeah. Uh, and it was the Tuesday, Tuesday of the World Match Play. And uh, my coach is there and he's English and he's pulled out a, from his uh, back pocket, uh, article from, I can't remember what paper it was, um, some English paper saying that, you know, there's no way that Michael Campbell was good enough uh, to join the likes of three other golfers who've won the US Open and the World Match Play in the same year. Yeah. So so, so the other three golfers were Ernie Owls, Arnold Palmer and, and Gary Player. So basically he just wrote me off. Yeah. Right, saying that it's it's just he's he's not in the same class as these guys. Wow. So so what I did, yeah, uh, what I did, I put that little article in my yardage book. So I see, see my, my yardage book. I see you know every hole. Uh, I see this article. <laughs> so that, so that, that was my my motivation. Yeah, that's incredible. So, yeah. So so to be mentioned in the same sentence as these three other amazing golfers, you know, to win the US Open and the World Match Play in the same year is, is pretty cool. Yeah, yeah, that that was um, absolutely amazing. And I, I still remember watching it myself and and and, uh, and I think even the commentators when you beat Paul McGinley were, were still, even I think uh, on that final day, you were the outsider um, uh, between the two of you. And, uh, and, and as I say, I think um, the commentators I watched in the UK broadcast were, were kind of stunned uh, still that you went on and won it. So, you know, for, to go on from the US Open, um, you know, and, and hold back a, a hard-charging Tiger Woods to, to then go on to the World Match Play Championships and, and win again, uh, is a couple of months later, was, uh, I think, as I say, I, I, I sort of put that up as, as high as, as, as the US Open in terms of the achievement. I thought it was absolutely incredible. But let's uh, go back to that US Open. Um, I, so I, I, I'll put you where I was as a fan of that, watching that. I was in Dubai at the time. I was three of three thirty in the morning, four o'clock in the morning. Uh, I was waiting for my. Um, uh, I was my wife was heavily pregnant, and we were just about to have our our second second <laughs> second child. And uh, yeah. so I'm I'm living and working in Dubai, and I'm watching uh, the US Open on satellite TV, and and. On the final day, say Rutev Goosen was it was kind of almost it was almost anoint, he was almost anointed. He was the defending US Open champion from the year before. He had a comfortable lead going into the final day. You'd played um, uh, really well on the on the third round and, and bolted up into contention, but it was more like a uh, Michael's Campbell's, Campbell's done great, but it, this is kind of routine Goosen's. It, it was basically a bit of a was going to be a procession, but it never it just didn't turn out that way at all. So could you kind of take me through um, that sort of final day and 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 what your sort of mindset was when you started off that morning and 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 has the day developed and. And and uh, and and you sort of started. Did were you, were you looking at leaderboards? And what 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 were you thinking as the day developed, Michael? Well, uh, let me rewind. Okay, a little bit here. So this is what June two thousand and five. Yeah. 
So um, at the start of the year of 2005, I played like six tournaments in a row, missed every single cut. I was shooting 80s, you know, and I couldn't keep on the golf course. I was playing army golf, we call it, you know, yeah. hitting left and right everywhere. It was embarrassing. So so this is back in uh, what, January, February. So I decided to go to see my coach, in Jonathan Yarwood, in America, and I spent five weeks with him, five weeks every day working from working my butt off. Yeah. And then we found a golden nugget, I call it. Uh, a golden nugget would gave me more confidence. Um, and then came back to Europe in April and then started making, finishing the top 10, you know, top five. So once again, I've gone from shooting 80s, missing cuts by, by 10 shots to in contention. Yeah. Because I, because I found one golden nugget. Um, and then so that, once again, it was it's all, you know, the, the, any sport really, it's all about momentum, right? And confidence. And, and I had that momentum going. As I qualified for the, uh, actually, sorry, it was the first time that the USGA had qualified outside America. And I went to uh, the qualifying, uh, which is like a 45 minute drive from my house in Brighton in England. Yeah. And qualified just on the number. I buried the last hole to qualify. Yeah, yeah, you got through sectional qualifying, uh, uh, didn't you? Um, and uh, you had to make that last part to actually to get through and qualify for US, the US Open, didn't you? Yeah, so you, you get realize, you know, yes, I won the US Open, but there's a lot of uh, things going on before then, a lot of things going on. Uh, for example, the last hole I played with Steve Webster. Webby hit it to like 10 feet, I had to 9 feet. I had to be my marker because of the same line as Webby. So Webby missed it right edge, and I lipped in right edge. Wow! I saw his, I saw his his putt. Yeah. So there you go. That's, you know, so things happen for a reason, right? Yeah. Fate, if you want to call it fate, whatever. So yeah. I qualify the number, and the last person to qualify, fly to America, feeling pretty good about myself, and um, as <laughs> uh, I never forget this uh, because it, it was Adam Scott and I were, we were pretty good friends, and Scotty and I were like sitting to and next to each other, flying from um, England to to America. And um, we're writing down our goals for the week. Uh, and, and my goal was top 10. Yeah. And Scotty, Scotty's goal was like top five because he was playing quite nicely. And uh, I said, okay, okay, Scotty, if I win, if, if, I, if I, sorry, if I uh, make top 10 US Open, I'm going to buy myself a secondhand Porsche. That was my prize to myself. <laughs> yeah. Because I, I think the most important thing to understand to all the listeners out there is that you've got to play a game within the game. So, so in saying that, so as the week progressed, you know, I found myself, you know, inside the top ten after three rounds. I think it was seventh or something. I can't remember. So I went from a used Porsche to a brand new Porsche. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, so that kind of uh, transpired a little bit more, and then. Yeah, but that's a different story. But the thing is that, so the last day, I remember having lunch with Retief, because Retief and I are very good friends. He's probably my, my best mate on tour. Right, right. And we had lunch together. So we're sitting there, because he's um, 10 off just before him. He's last group, and I'm sick of the last group. So he's playing Jason Gore, and I'm playing with Olin Brown. And and I, I saw something making goose. I'm thinking... God, he, he's going to play bad today. He wasn't. I don't know what it is. It, it, I, know, I know I could say it now, 
but I just felt it. You know, you, when you feel something, you know, it's instinctively, I don't know what you want to call it, uh, intuition or whatever. Yeah. Uh, I just felt that he he wasn't going to play well. And I thought, okay, I've got a chance here. And, and after six holes, I'm leading the golf tournament. Yeah. So, so, so from, from the sixth hole onwards, I was, you know, um, detailing the car, <laughs> the, my, my, my new Porsche, the, the color, uh, the different color brake capillaries, uh, bigger tires, um, exhaust, it's going to be a little bit louder. You know, I was doing that sort of stuff through the whole course of, surprisingly, I was doing that the whole time. <laughs> oh my God. And were you still doing that, you know, when you were getting right down to the business end of the tournament, 16, 17, 18, were you, were you, or had your mind shifted, or were you still thinking like that? Of course, I was thinking about the, my car. <laughs> That's amazing. What a great story. Well, the thing is, the thing you've got to understand that when, when you focus on the small things, they really matter. Well, well I'm trying to distract myself yeah. from the bigger picture. Yes. Yeah. That's yeah. what I'm saying to you. Yeah. Uh, and, 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 and my way. It doesn't work for everybody, but that's how I did it. <laughs> yeah. And what, so then take us through what happens once you win a golfing major. Um, what, are the, what are the commitments like? What, what, what does it do to your life, uh, you, know, uh, you know, becoming a, 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 a US Open champion? Uh, you know, because I've, I've heard this a lot, like it, it becomes, it, it, it's an enormous journey that then people then go on, that winners go on in terms of this, you know, there's a hell, hell of a lot of commitments. Um, there's, uh, you know, there's a lot of drain on your time uh, and uh, you have to be a lot of places for a lot of people. There's a lot of press. There's, um, you know, and, and uh, it, it, so tell us, you know, in your own words, how did you find the, the, the journey afterwards um, from being crowned US Open champion? <laughs> Honestly, uh, it was nothing that I was prepared for. It, it's, it's absolute mayhem. Um, uh, I would sit down with my manager every day and we have three pages, A4 size, of requests. Wow. It's, it's, it, it's, it's hard to describe, really. It's just, uh, yeah, crazy. But it's, it's, a, it's a good crazy. And the thing, the thing that happened to me, really, I didn't say no. I said yes to everybody. So that, was, that means I, I, I practiced less. I went to the gym less. I played less tournaments. I want to go to charities. Because when you, I know, when you're the, like the flavor of the month, you have more influence to raise. Because, you know, I, I'm a, my, my grandmother taught me a very important thing when I was very, very young. And I still stand by it to this day. Her philosophy about life, you know, you know, you're born with two hands, uh, one to receive, one to give back. So when I was in that position of giving back, I made the most of it. And my golf suffered, yes, but I don't care. I mean, I, I've, I've been enriched with a wonderful, you know, I'm healthy, my boys are healthy, my two young, or they're 21 and 22 and 20. Yeah. You know, you know, the the healthy. So you know, I've, I've had a good life, and you know, I'm I'm happy, I'm happy. So there's no no, yes, obviously, you know, it would be nice to win another major, and you know, yes, but with this one, the ego gets gets in the way a little bit more. 
and you want more and greed comes into it as well so this this i mean look i'm i'm happy with my 15 you know wins around it around the globe yeah i'm sure a lot, a lot of a lot of kids will give their right arm for that but uh yeah and and well yeah. you should be michael i mean as i say um being a massive golf and a sports fan and a very proud new zealander watching that at 3 30 or 4 in the morning in new zealand as you you know would crown the us open champion i had to wipe a tear from my eye because i was so very very proud of you and of of I, you know, and to, you know, and, and just to see the small town boy from not far up the road from where I lived be crowned the US Open champion, I was, you know, absolutely stunned because you were living and competing in in peak Tiger years. You know, this was when Tiger sort of roamed the golf courses and kind of worried golfers out of titles and intimidated them, and just from his sheer presence and sheer game, and yet you you held firm. And and one in style and and I thought you know it was yeah it was an enormously emotional um and and, and wonderful moment in New Zealand sport and I'll, I'll never forget it. You oh, know? Thanks. But the thing the thing I realised sorry I'll interrupt here but but that listen like that's very nice of you thank you very much for those uh, wonderful words but um you go realise something that yeah you know, um yes uh, Tiger was dominated world golf for ten years from ninety eight to two thousand eight. He dominated golf yeah. for such a long time. Yeah. And I, I was privileged enough to be in the same era. Yeah. I feel privileged. You know, yes, I, I could have won more tournaments. Yeah. Um, absolutely. I remember competing against Tiger a couple of times and I, you know, I lost him, I think, two or three times, came second to him two or three times. Yeah. But I, I'm, I'm, I'm happy. The thing is, you go realize that on that final day, you know, it was a true David and Goliath kind of scenario. You know, Tiger won 10 majors. He just won Augusta two months before. I was ranked number 86 in the world, complete outsider. And I'll never forget standing on the 10th tee. So I've got nine holes to play, and Tiger's playing in front of me, right? Tiger's playing in front of me. And one shot ahead of Tiger. The, the, the rest of the field are kind of gone now. They're like three or four shots behind us. So they're pretty much finished, done. Mm. So I remember standing there on the 10th tee and his playing partner uh, had a ruling. So that's 10 minutes. So you imagine 10 minutes on that 10th tee. Wow. Seems like a lifetime, right? Yeah. <laughs> so I decided, I mean, and, and once again, you know, the golfing gods were talking to me. I remember reading a book uh, by Bruce Lee. It came into my mind because I, I was big into the whole psychology, right? Yeah. And I was I was reading a lot of books back in those times. And there's this book by Bruce Lee called, oh, I can't remember now, Zen, Zen and the Martial Arts or something, Martial Arts, something like that. And there was one paragraph that really stood out that came to me. I don't know why, how or why it came to me. He goes, because he, he said, like, you know, the body's like, a, like, a, like water, like water that flows. Yeah. And, and they said uh, something like, you know, imagine your mind uh, as an empty glass and being filled with water, which is going to be filled of positive thinking. So, so what I did was I stood there and visualizing an empty glass of water, filling it with, oh, I can't remember what I said exactly. Um, I'm deserving. I've worked hard for this. You know, it's my time to shine. All these key words, these thoughts, these processes, these um, uh, words I was speaking to myself. And it's one sentence that really stood out for me was, once again, I, I have no idea where it came from. Okay, I didn't read about it. 
I said, seize this as an opportunity, not a threat. Mm. And it's a whole pot of flight. You know, you run towards trouble, you run away from trouble. Yeah. And I decided to run towards trouble. So there you go. Yeah. Yeah. And then the rest, as they say, is history. So, um, uh, you know, th- th- that, uh, you know, you, you were, you were, as I say, celebrated in New Zealand. That was a, it was a massive, um, a massive day for all, for all New Zealand sports fans. And, um, as I say, a great, a great story of, of golf. Um, so let's now look at the sort of like the present and the future. So, I mean, in 2015, you know, you, you retired, just citing, um, you, you went through a few um, injury issues. You had shoulder injury issues, you had ankle injury issues and, and, uh, and retired in 2015. Now, last year I saw you, I was really pleased to see you back out actually playing again. Uh, and um, so a couple of questions is, so what are you doing now, Michael? Um, and, and where, what sort of where do you think in terms of um, your game? Uh, do do you either senior tour and think about that, or um, or are you quite happy in, in where you are in your life and what you're doing? I'd be interested to know. Sort of, I know you run a golf and academy in Spain. If you'd like, just like to tell us about that, and and uh, and sort of, you know, where, where you'd like to uh, is that where you're happy enough being, or or are you look, thinking considering the seniors tour at any stage? Yeah, well, as I said before, you know, what my grandmother taught me uh, a long time ago when I was 10, 12 years old was, you know, to, to give back. And um, having a golf academy like uh, I have here in southern Spain here has given me the opportunity to, to share my experiences and knowledge with these other people and, and young kids. So that's been fun for me. But uh, I feel like I've got um, more uh, gas left in the tank. You know, I want to go out there and play and compete. I love competing. Uh, so what my, my goal is this year and depending on COVID that sort of stuff, but it is to play a, a few more events on the, what well, say, sorry, play events on the seniors tour. I'm 52 now. So I'm very keen to go there and play again and, yeah. and, and compete again. You know, I try to play a few events on the European tour and realize that you know, I'm, I'm just not strong enough, hit it far enough because these kids now are just, they're just monsters. They hit it so far. So um, I think uh, I think right now that you know my, my goal really is to go out there and play on the seniors tour and have some fun and see my old friends I haven't played for, I haven't seen for a long time or play with for a long, very long time so yeah that's that's my kind of uh, kind of goal right now. Okay, so uh, as as you say, as COVID kind of restrictions lifted, uh, please you know God eventually, um, and you, you can um, and get to the states. We we could potentially see your name up in the in the senior tour in the states. Yeah, that's that's the, the ultimate for me is yeah. to play. Look, I'm I'm not going to play, and I, I've done the whole twenty five years on tour sort of thing. So I'm going to play like you know twelve events, fifteen events a year, and that's 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 plenty for me. Yeah, because you've got lifetime um, uh, membership on the European Tour, haven't you? Yeah, I have, but uh, I probably won't take it because it's just. Uh, yeah, I was, out, I, I was out there, and I just realised that you know I can't compete against these young guys now. Uh, maybe I'm on a very selective kind of uh, a selected uh, golf course types, but um, not in the long ones, that's for sure. Yeah, because uh, one of the things I've neglected to go, I actually looked over, um, unfortunately, was you you, um, you were the European um, Tour Player of the Year. And I think on the year, was it the year that you won the World Match Play Championship? I think you missed out by a just a whisker on the European Tour Order of Merit uh, money prize, um, money list, of, um, list to Colin Montgomery, but but just by by a few dollars, I think. Isn't that right? 
Oh, I can't remember. Yeah, all, I think all, you were, all, yeah. all I remember is I came second. So yeah, yeah, you, you were very, very close on that European tour of tour of merit. Okay, it's interesting you say about the these young kids because that's the next thing I just want to take you to about where you sort of see the game today. Um, I, I, I mean, I look at golf and I see it's in rude health. I, I just think golf as a game is incredible health uh, in the way that there is so many amazing young players out there now doing incredible things but i'd like to know from you michael uh, sort of where do you see the game and 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 are there sort of rising stars and players that you like to watch yourself personally well the thing is that um you know in any sport it's called evolution right so uh, I, I was lucky enough to be see three different generations of players so when i first turned pro back in 94 293 there was norman norman was the best part sevi faldo you know yeah. woosnam sammy lyle those guys so there's the first generation i came across and the second generation was uh mickelson uh tiger ernie retief uh, you know yeah there's so many bj uh davis love fred couples and then the third generation uh, was rory and and then um Tommy Fleetwood, who I played with as well. So, you know, I've been lucky enough to to be exposed uh, to these different but amazing players. Yeah. And and the most important thing that people got to realize is that you got to see the game grow, right? And yes, there's, let's talk about restrictions on the golf ball and, and the driver going too far, but that's only like 0.1% of people who play the game yeah if you think about it right the rest of us so the rest of them uh the other players want to hit it further so or make people come back and play you know the, if, it, if the ball goes straighter and further of course the game's going to grow if they they pull mm. the if they pull the ball back or the driver back or the clubs back and see more shape in the shots there's no way that because the game of golf is hard to play if you think about it it certainly is. It's hard, even for us as a, at a high level, it's hard to play. And uh, are the, the players now less talented than the players back in you know, the Seve days or the Norman days? Probably yes, because there's less movement of the golf ball. So you can mishit it and still go the same distance. Whereas you know, back in the 90s and early 2000s, you got to hit it right in the centre for it to perform better, to, to, for the optimal performance of the golf ball. Yeah, but, but now these you know guys out there on tour who wouldn't even make a cut, you know, twenty years ago. Mm. <laughs> so it's different. But I, I'm not look. Maybe I'm old school, but I, I was lucky enough to to see all three different generations and go through the process. And and you know the manufacturers, what they've done with technology is amazing. Um, I, I just think it's right now golf is healthy. Because yeah. it's been made a little bit easier to play because the ball goes further and straighter. As simple as that. Okay. Uh, is there a particular player, Michael, that uh, that you would um, uh, cross the road, so to speak, to go and watch? Uh, any young player or, or player, even not young, but just any player playing um, in the game today uh, at the top of the game that you would think, oh, I'd, I'd actually like to go and see that play that guy play in person? I actually don't watch golf. <laughs> I don't watch golf at all. That's interesting. 
Okay. Um, I was just, <laughs> sorry. Sorry. Sorry for the no, very blunt answer, but I don't actually don't. No, no, Scott. no. That, that, hey, that, that's look. Hey, I completely. I can kind of understand why you don't after playing for so 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 many years. I can I can kind of understand why you wouldn't. Uh, to put it this way, then uh, here's another one. Then I just I I think you've got a. Uh, you must have. Even though you don't watch golf, you must have enjoyed um, hearing about uh, Lee Westwood, um, you know, doing so well at the Arnold Palmer Invitational. Because here's a guy that I know you, you know, you're, you're friends with Lee Westwood. You, you've played a lot with him down the years. Here's a guy who won, who's won in the '90s, the noughts, the tens, and the twenties. I mean, that, that's an incredible achievement from Lee Westwood, isn't it? Oh, it's, it's just phenomenal. I mean, it's great to see my friend, very good friend up there. Have a chance. I mean, last week at Bay Hill, actually, it's the only time I watched golf was to watch him. <laughs> uh, but but what's again, you know, you got to realise that the golf ball, the golf ball reacts to physics. It doesn't matter. It doesn't know. The golf ball doesn't know how old you are. Yeah. Your gender, um, whether you're six foot, five foot, or seven foot tall. You know your your religion. It yeah, reacts, it reacts to to to, to, to uh, physics and what what uh, Lee displayed last week against the muscle bound um, Bryson does just show that you know it's not about how he fight it it's it's you know basically um, it's how you play and yes there's a huge advantage that you know over Lee like for example the six hole I think uh, uh, Bryson had eighty yards to the pin and. First yeah. shot on a par five, and I think Lee had like 230 yards. So yeah. yes, it's a massive, but they, they, they both had fourth. <laughs> so yeah, uh, both both through the hole. So you got to realise that yes, it's not about um, how far you hit it and and stuff like that. So it's the it's um, the number on the scorecard, and and I, I think hats off to Lee what he did last week. He was amazing. Yeah, he's, and, and and just at the TPC this week, um, I haven't tuned in um, right now. It's Friday evening as we speak, but um, uh, his first round at TPC Sawgrass um, uh, yesterday, he was three off the lead. He's right in the wheelhouse again, Lee Westwood. And so, um, and and I watched his interview as he came off um, the first eighteen holes of his first round yesterday, and he was very happy with where his game is at, and feels um, that he can um, you know carry on the good work from last week at Arnold Palmer. So good luck to Lee. I think um, it, there's no reason why he can't. I think TPC Sawgrass suits his game. It's not the it's not the longest course in the world. Um, and uh, you know, I know that another New Zealander, Craig Perks, won the TPC um, uh, many years ago. Um, did you play t- a TPC um, uh, much yourself, Michael? Oh yeah, I played there from like fifteen times or something like that. <laughs> and what are your thoughts? What are your thoughts on the course itself? Oh, I, I love I love TPC. I think it's a great golf course. I mean. You know, the the, the, the uh, 17th hole is so intimidating. It's only like a nine iron wedge, um, but it's because it's surrounded by water. It's a real mental battle, really, or anything else. And you know, I, I really really enjoyed that week. It's a fun week, and obviously, it's you know they call it the fifth major. Yeah. Um, but uh, yeah, it's it's always a, it's always a great week that week. Well, I tell you what, Michael, that you'd be stunned. Uh, there's been so many balls go in the water in the first round uh, at, at TBC. That 17th um, at Island Green has, has been the undoing of a lot of golfers this week. Um, uh, there's a lot of guys have stuck it in the drink um, uh, in the first round, and so um, it's it's really interesting. Um, okay, and just a fi- final, um, uh, just a final question, Michael. Uh, 
if 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 I was a young golfer, or for the for the young golfers out there listening who who love the game and who are looking to to sort of get somewhere in the game, what would you uh, you know a, a major champion and, and a multiple champion across the years? What would you tell any young golfer listening, um, you know, um, as a piece of advice, um, you know, going forward and, and, and as they try and make their way in the game? Oh, this. There's so many things. And I think the most important thing that, I, that I've discovered in my career is ask questions. Right. Ask questions. Okay, what's that mean? Ask questions to you know, people um, about management, about fitness, about obviously the golf game. Um, always ask questions. It's one thing I did all the time. Ask questions to all the players. How do you play this bunker shot? How do you play this chip shot? How do you play this putt? You know, how do you, how do you chip? You know, all the... Always, always, always ask questions. So that's number one. Number two is have a good team around you. And what's a team? A team, although you're individual sport, you got to have a good team around you. A good manager, you know, uh, you got to have a fitness guy. You got to have a coach, psychologist. You know, you know. There was a time when I had like probably six people around me. So what I had to do is play golf. You know, I had a accountant. You know, I had a investor everyone around me uh, so yes there's, there's so much and also to, to believe what you're doing is right to have the passion to be driven you know all the wonderful things that create success dedication work ethic that the list goes on and on and on and then you will have people around you close family friends uh, family cousins, relations, uh, second cousins who, who doubt you or, or who, you know, try and put you, just have doubters around you. And that's yeah. going to happen. And yeah. you got to be determined and you've got to just have that self-belief, that inner belief that you can do it because you're going to have people who try and knock you down all the time. Okay, and on that, uh, I, I'd like to thank you, Michael, for your time. I, I really, really appreciate it. It's been a, an absolute privilege to speak to you and, and talk to you about the game and about your career and, and time in it. Uh, and, um, uh, yeah, I just can't thank you enough for, for your time this evening. Absolute pleasure. It was great fun sharing all my stuff with you. Thanks, Michael. Okay.